Lord, we thank you for this evening. And I thank you for your kindness in our lives. That you allow us to to learn about you. uh, To consider your world, your word. And um, to come to know you uh, more intimately. Thank you, Lord, that uh, it is from you and through you and to you that are all things. And so tonight, that is no different. May you be glorified and honored as a result of what we do this evening. And may our joy in you increase. Uh, May our love for you increase as a result of this session. And I pray this in your matchless name, Jesus. Amen. Well, um, this is session four. We're going to be dealing today with the problem of evil. Uh, Last week, we talked about Jesus. What makes Jesus so unique? And one of the things I pointed out was that Jesus was a historical person. And uh, he he was much more, we said, he's much more than a a sage, a religious uh, genius, a social revolutionary. According to Jesus' self-understanding, he is divine. And we saw that in both the title, Son of God and Son of Man, and also by um, some um, implicit uh, claims, him being the unique Son of God, His um, claim to having divine authority, for example, he taught on his own authority. He forgave sins on his own authority. Stuff like that really angered people. And uh, ultimately that our eternal destiny is in his hands. That's some pretty huge claim for a mere man to make. And if anybody um, gives the the New Testament Gospels a fair reading, uh, to to come away with um, oh, he was just, you know, he was just a nice guy or whatever. He was, he was, he was a brilliant man, but he's not divine. You're not reading the text. You're not reading it. You're not letting the text speak. Anyway, if Jesus is in fact God incarnate, then that means that he's the only way to salvation, which means this, that all bets are off. There are no other ways. And so, uh, when all bets are off and there are no other ways, if you do not come through Christ's redemptive sacrificial work on the cross of Calvary, then you are going to, and I am going to, um, absorb the wrath of God for eternity. Um, But God has made provision, and um, we plead people to come to Him. Well, this this evening, um, the problem of evil. Over two and a half millennia ago, Solomon said something. I think he spoke to this issue of the problem of evil that's quite penetrating. Uh, He says this in Ecclesiastes 4, 1 through 3. Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. So I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. I thought that was really powerful. I read that this this week in my devotions. And I just, I go, oh my gosh. You know, this question of the problem of evil and, uh, and suffering and oppression and injustice, it's been around forever. It's been around since recorded history, since Genesis chapter, was it four, where um, Abel murdered his brother. No, where where Cain murdered Abel, his brother. And um, this uh, today I was talking to my daughter about what I was going to teach on. And she says, so, so, daddy, what's the problem of evil? 
What's that all about? And I just kind of shot it to her in a nutshell. And you're not going to get the nutshell. You're just going to get shelled. No. Um, but, um, you know, the bottom line is we can't solve all of the different uh, issues, nuances that, that, that involve this question. It is the most daunting issue to deal with uh, apologetically. In other words, giving a defense for the faith. Um, and it is also one that is not just a philosophical issue. It's a deeply practical one. All of us have been touched by evil and suffering. We've, we have either caused it, okay, or it has been done to us. And I'm, I'm talking specifically right now moral evil. And then some of us have experienced, uh, uh, you know, natural evil where, where you know, for, for whatever reason, somebody's born with, without a limb or, or, or with the, the lack of being able to speak or, or some kind of a deformity. That is an aspect of evil. Um, anyway, so the number one reason why people cite that they will not believe in the God of the Scriptures and specifically uh, the Christian account of God is um, this, this issue, the problem of evil. But the fact of the matter remains this, is that regardless of your religious persuasion, regardless of your worldview, you're going to have to deal with the problem of evil. It's not going away. You're going to have to deal with it. And, um, you know, uh, maybe you know somebody who has left the faith because, you know, either their grandmother died of cancer or they had a child uh, die uh, or they had uh, somebody in their family brutally murdered. Or, or somebody was raped. I mean, it's just horrific things that happen to people. Or they, were, or they were abused by authority in the church. And they just said, forget it, I'm gone, see you later. You know, the, the aching question, why do bad things happen to quote-unquote good people? It needs to be answered. And the um, question is, how do people think about evil? How do they approach it? Well, there's basically three, three, three ways people approach it. Uh, one is that, first of all, it doesn't exist. Another one is that it's an illusion. And another, another one is that, you know what, it's just there. You can't deny it. So for, for, for some um, uh, mental health professionals, they deny that evil is actually real in the world. They say that the root cause of bad behavior or violence is merely physiological or environmental. Okay. So heinous crimes are committed by mentally sick people, not sinful human beings. Um, you, you know, if you grow up in a home where there's physical abuse, will it affect children adversely? Of course. Yes. But is that the root cause? Is that the root cause? Uh, you know, regardless if they deny evil and sinful behavior, they're still forced to acknowledge the fact that human beings are suffering around them, and that's why they have a job, Right? Perhaps maybe you're in the mental health uh, um, profession. Um, another one is that evil is an illusion. And this comes um, in the form of Eastern religions and some strands of Hinduism where reality is just one. There are no distinctions. We've talked about this before. It, 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 that God is all and all is God, which is pantheism. Um, so in, in order to you, for you to get away from this illusion of evil, you've got to... Um, arrive at a proper mystical, uh, arrive at a proper mystical consciousness. And, um, th- this view 
has influ- which is a Hindu, Hindu uh, worldview, it's influenced um, a lot of groups, a lot of the mind science groups like uh, Christian science, religious science, um, a lot of New Age spirituality. And so what they say is that the main problem is ignorance or the lack of enlightenment. There isn't any sin. There is no moral evil. Okay, But let's face it, you can't easily dismiss evil. I mean, the 20th century has been named by some as the bloodiest century recorded in human history. All you have to do is look at the totalitarian regimes of Hitler, Stalin, uh, Mao, and where millions of people under their regime, which is an atheistic regime, by the way, at the core, um, uh, people are just slaughtered. But uh, when it comes to the slaughter of human beings, World War II, nothing can, can rival World War II. Um, it's recorded that uh, over 50 million people died in World War II, and it's called by some the greatest catastrophe in history. And as my old professor said, to deny evil as, elusor, uh, as an illusion is a serious departure from reality. And what I would say, it is vicious. It's vicious. It's vicious. So what I'm going to do tonight is... Um, Look at four big ideas. Okay, first of all, what surrounds the problem or problems of evil? Because there's more than one problem. Um, number two, we're going to define what we mean by good and evil. Number three, we're going to explain uh, the deductive and, in- and inductive problem of evil. And then I want to give you some encouragement for application. Okay, so first of all, what surrounds the problems of evil? Why is this issue important? It's important because it hits up on the religious dimension, you know. Uh, deciding whether or not God does evil or fails to do good can contribute to your religious allegiance, whether you're going to follow Christ or not. Um, th- there's a historical dimension also. Uh, both uh, philosophers and theologians have wrestled with this issue. You've got Job in the, in, in the Old Testament wrestling with the, w- with the whole issue of suffering and evil, and, and he was a righteous man. Uh, and then you have philosophical and uh, theological uh, challenges that are advanced against theism and, and particularly Christian theism. So, and the purpose of arguments that are advanced is to show that the system that we have in Christianity is internally inconsistent. If you can do that, if you can show that what we are talking about is internally inconsistent, then you can logically say Christianity is bunk. And we're going to talk about that tonight. So these are some reasons why this issue is important. But like I mentioned before, there's more than a problem of evil. Gosh, man, There's more than one problem of evil. Uh, first of all, there's what's called the religious problem of evil. Uh, how many of you were in California in 1994, the Northridge earthquake? You know, some people died because they were driving on um, on an overpass. You know, they just they just died. Um, you know, people at the, the those times or tsunamis. You know, what was it in two thousand four in Thailand? That tsunami, boy, that that really raised a lot of questions within the media and among religious circles. You know, did God do this? Did the devil do this? You know, does God exist? Does he not? Uh, Hurricane Katrina also. And just recently, we've got the issue in Syria where they use uh, chemical uh, weapons against their own people. 
And uh, so you've got you've got real, real problems. And the religious problem, essentially, it's 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 one of your experience. What are you going to do? How are you going to live as a result of these kind of horrible things happening uh, in the world or to you? And let me just say this sooner or later, it's going to it's going to come your way. You do know that, right? I mean, after we get out of our teens, at least this has been my experience. After the teen years, you know, the Disneyland vacation's over. You know, but there are kids that are 8, 9, 10 years old in Africa, you know, where the blood diamonds are. They get introduced to a ruthless world uh, that none of us can imagine. Of violence and, and hatred and just bloodshed. So um, what happens is, you know, your experience will impact how you relate to God. It will. And, um, and you've got to also realize it's not just your experience, but it's also your reasoning. Because there are philosophical and theological problems, too, of evil. You know, there's a distinction between moral evil and natural evil. Moral evil is produced by a, a, an agent, a person. Natural evil is produced by something that happens, like an asteroid smashing the earth and killing, you know, a family. Or a lightning bolt uh, hitting um, you right where you are and you die. Some people live, okay? So these are the kind of things that, that's the distinction that's there. But the, the philosophical um, um, and the theological problems, they're more abstract because they generalize. They don't get into specifics. Uh, they don't focus on uh, our response to God as a result of evil. They more focus on, you know, if an all-powerful, all-loving God um, would allow any evil in the world he created, why should I believe that he exists? Okay? Uh, then there's what's called the degrees of evil problem. You know, how much is enough? You ever meet anybody who's suffering because um, th- th- they've got a debilitating sickness and they're getting more and more bitter? You ever, any of you known anybody like that? I knew somebody like that. My stepmom experienced that. She could not understand why God, what's the purpose of me just sitting here? It's real. And then there's um, the useless and purposelessness of evil. For example, the Holocaust. What was God thinking? Well, if God is all-powerful, all-good, all-knowing, why in the world would he allow something like that? Did he cause that? So there's definitely more than one problem of evil, but there are two key considerations we want to uh, deal with uh, in solving the problem of evil. And though there is, number one, internal consistency, number one, and number two, it's our perception of God. Our perception of God. So first of all, the problem of internal consistency. And here what you're dealing with is this. It's not whether or not a theological position contradicts another theological system. For example, um, Calvinism. Any of you ever heard of the, the, the term Calvinism? And Arminianism. Ever heard that? The one camp tends to... Uh, Calvinism tends to um, accentuate the sovereignty of God. And I know this is essentially my, how I see it. And Armenianism really focuses on human free will. Okay, So depending on uh, what they're going to focus on is how they are going to then proceed to try to solve the problem, which makes all the sense in the world. 
But what we're dealing with here, as far as internal consistency, what, what, what's significant is that the system, the theological system that's being used, the key here is that regardless of the tenets that are believed, they cannot contradict themselves. Because if they do, then they disqualify themselves as being, at least logically, true. Therefore, rational. Um, so for the, for the theist, regardless of his system, um, how he views God, evil, human freedom, it can't contradict itself. Do you recall in the first class I said that if there is a contradiction, that's a, a red flag that there's what? A what? A falsehood. Something's gone wrong. Something's not right here. So the, the implication for the critic, okay? The implication for the critic is this. They have to deal with the theist's system on its own terms. Okay? In other words, if I believe that God is all good, all powerful, all knowing, and that he created all things, and evil exists, I need to be able to show why I see that it is not contradictory. And the atheist, for example, cannot bring in his atheistic system to try to contradict my system. Because right now, all we're doing is dealing with my worldview and looking at, is it consistent? Does that, are, are, do you understand? Is it, are, is it true? At least logically, is it making any um, claims that are contradictory or not? And so that's what you deal with there. So internal consistency is critical, but so is our perception of God. So is our perception of God. Um, when an attack on, um, you know, when a problem of evil is, uh, you know, brought on a, a theological view of God, it's not necessarily the case that it is actually um, put forth on God, unless the view that's put forth is true. Unless we rightly um, reveal and explain who the God of Scripture is, then if it's rejected, then it does. it is an attack on the God of Scripture. Do you see the difference? No? Okay, let me do this again. Um, Mortimer Adler, in his book, How to Read a Book, any of you ever heard that book? How to Read a Book? My kids said to me, Dad, why do I need to read a book? Tell me how to read a book. It's a good question. And my answer is because your life is short. And some books are worthy of careful reading and others just perusing. But one of the things that he says in that book is that if you are going to disagree with an author, you must come to terms with that author. If you do not understand the position, forget about believing it or whatever, but if you do not understand how the author is using terms, then you can't disagree because in order to disagree necessitates that you understand. Okay? So, when we're talking about the God of the Bible, if we, if, if we represent who this God is, and, the peop- and, and in fact, what, what we are saying, we've come to terms with who God has revealed himself, both in Scripture and in nature, then the person that's coming against the argument, 
then they are coming against that God who has revealed himself in both nature and in Scripture. Does that, is that clearer? Okay. Thank you, Lord. Okay. So if the theological position is an accurate depiction, I already said that. There's an issue called theodicy. Theodicy um, is an attempt to justify God in spite of the evil that's in the world. And essentially what, what the strategy of a theodicy is to show that even though, yeah, I'll admit that there is evil in the world, God still has a good reason for why it is here. So that's essentially what theodicy is. So two, uh, two key considerations to solving the problem of evil is internal consistency. And number two, our perception of God. Coming to terms, okay? Internal consistency, there, there can't be any contradictory truth claims, okay? Now what I want to do is, um, we've kind of looked at what surrounds the problem of evil or the problems of evil. Now let's define our terms of what good and evil is or are, okay? Um, you know, tr- clarity is truth's friend. And um, we really want to answer the so what question. Really, at the end of the day, um, I think we do. We tend to be um, extreme as human beings. We go on one, either on one uh, side of the spectrum or the other. Uh, sometimes we want to get all of our "quote unquote" theology right, and we forget. Well, you know, you, you need to live it. It's not just so that you can get it "quote unquote" right. And then others of us go the exact opposite. Oh, forget about all this theology stuff or whatever. Which is a theology, by the way. It's a theological statement. And, oh, just, I just want to love Jesus. I just want to love Jesus. Well, the fact of the matter is that neither of those two extremes are biblically warranted. Because God is the God of truth. Jesus is our model. Nobody was, you know, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as he was filled with the word of God, nobody had a more powerful ministry than Jesus. Do you know anybody had a more powerful ministry than Jesus? Okay, good. Um, so, you know, where we bring the truth and the living it out, that's how, how God created us to live. That's why I said in the first class, and I'm going to say it again tonight, this is not just, you know, the goal of this class is worship. The goal of this class, the, my goal tonight is to encourage you and equip you with, with the truth uh, of a real sticky, difficult subject that God addresses but he doesn't give us all the answers to. And at the same time, encourage you to trust the one who has died and risen on our behalf. And so that is my, my goal tonight uh, here. Now, the Christian worldview, and I mean, in any worldview, has got to deal with the problem of evil. Now, the Christian worldview says this, says a lot of things, but number one, that God exists and that he has revealed himself in Scripture. So what that means is this, we need to go to our system the Bible, okay, to our authoritative book to see what it says about good and evil. Okay, so that's what I want to do right now, the meaning of good. Let's look at the meaning of good. Uh, when, when you're talking about something that's good, the meaning of good, it is, uh, it is essentially giving praise to something because of its excellence, of its inherent excellence, um, you know, and there's a difference between a non-moral good and a moral good. For example, I, eh, well, if, if I said, boy, I had a really good burrito 
today, and I didn't. Okay, Trish? I did not have a good burrito today. But if I said I had a good burrito today, it's a lot different than me saying, boy, you know, Trish is a real good woman. It's different. Can you see it? Qualitatively. One is talking about food, a thing, you know. Another one is talking about a soul, a person created in God's image. So it describes um, the character excellence of the person, whereas the burrito describes the personal taste of the person eating. Make sense? So, um, you know, this, this, this issue has been hotly uh, debated. It is not a... Oh, gosh. Anyway. Augustine and Aquinas, two of the greatest Christian thinkers in the church's history. Okay? They both believed that, um, that there are what's called gradations of good, uh, either spiritual or material, and that God is the highest good. Uh, in other words, God is the source of all that is good. God is the ultimate source of goodness. And if I had to say what is good and what is evil, in a nutshell, here's what I would say. I would say, That good is grounded in the nature and character of God. Evil is anything that is opposed to his design and purposes. The atheist is going to have to come up with with a definition too. So is the pantheist. So is the polytheist. So is the secular humanist. Everybody's going to have to do their own homework. Okay? It's not just us. But that's what I would say. From the Christian worldview. Now, Scripture affirms God's goodness. You've got uh, Psalm 25, 8 says this. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the way. This word Lord, when it's capitalized, it's talking about the God of the covenant. It's talking about the I Am, who revealed Himself to Moses in Exodus 3. It's talking about the Creator, The one who sustains everything. And it says of him that he is good. If you recall in Genesis, after he finished all of his creation, and after he created human beings, he said, he looked at everything, he said, it is very good. It is very good. So what does he do? He instructs sinners in the way. Now, this is interesting because God is complete, doesn't lack anything. He's holy. Sinners are wicked. They're twisted. They need help. But he instructs them in what? The way. Well, what's the way? The way that he has designed them to live to his glory. Sort of saying. Um, In um, Psalm 100 verse 5, it says this, For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. So here the psalmist is saying, praise the Lord. Why? Because, reason, He is good. And His mercy is everlasting. Jesus affirmed God's goodness. If you recall, in Mark 10, verses 17 through 18, He says this, As He was sitting out on a journey, a man ran up to Him and knelt before Him and asked Him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. Now, right here, he is not denying his divinity. He's asking him a question and making a statement. He's asking him, why are you calling me good? And by the way, let me tell you who, who is good. Only God is good. And in other words, Jesus is saying, God decides what is good, determines what is good, has done what is good, and all that is good is grounded in God's nature, in God's character. You see the creator-creature distinction here? Keep that in mind when you're reading, when you're reading the Word. You're going to see it over and over and over again. Those are huge, big thoughts to help you see, wow, look at that. The creator, the creature. So the good, the term the good, has a religious moral definition. Um, It has to do with who a person is and what a person does. Okay? So being good and doing good consists of Two things, being in fellowship with God and living out the implications of being in fellowship with God. Uh, Micah 6.8, which is one of my favorite scriptures, I think it's another way of saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. If you can imagine right here an upside down triangle, how are you going to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly before your God? How are you going to do that? How's, how's justice going to be done? I think it starts with walking humbly before your God. Because you're recognizing your need for Him. You're recognizing that you are dependent on Him. And therefore, Because you've been a recipient of his loving kindness. Loving kindness grounds justice. It just does. What is justice? It's when the the poor are oppressed that we champion their cause. So doing is of God. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. That's 3 John uh, verse 11. Um, you know, he's not saying here that... A couple thoughts. He is not saying that if you do good, you have seen God like Moses wanted to see God. Okay? I think what he is saying here is, if you have seen, tasted... Come into relationship with the God-man. Then you are going to love. Okay? And you're going to love like Jesus loved. And the kind of love that Jesus showed is a kind of love that is confrontive. That does not, you know, just, you know, just, oh, sin, oh, it's not a big deal. Sin is a big deal to Jesus. God calls us to holiness. So when he's talking about the one who does evil has not seen God, I think that's what he's saying. Now, when it comes to doing good, to do good is only possible through the strength that God supplies. Uh, Romans 3.12 says, All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. 
This is why we must be made good before actually doing good. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 33 to 35. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. And Paul in Ephesians 2.10 says that we have been created, we've been saved. Now God has uh, created us to do good works. Good works, which God predestined for us to do. There is something that is good. What is a good work? It is a work of faith. It is a work that I am trusting that anything that's good that's coming out of tonight is ultimately from the Lord. And and I know I have to do my work, but ultimately, if this is going to uh, impact you um, for for the the goodness of the kingdom and for the glory of the king, uh, it is because he is ultimately doing it in you. I am desperately needy of him, and, and so are you. So, good is based on who God is, okay, and uh, who God is and what He has done. Um, And um, so that's it for that. Any questions? It's a lot, huh? Go ahead. Yeah, as a Christian, um, you know, um, what is it? There's a scripture that says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Um, Human beings are image bearers, uh, whether they're believers or not. And at times, non-believers reflect the image of God uh, better than people that belong to him. You know, so uh, clearly, uh, you know, I think somebody who raises their children and works hard, um, I, I, don't, I don't see that. I wouldn't say that that person is a bad person per se. Um, the fact of the matter is, though, that we've all rebelled. And unless um, we are born of God, um, we have no hope. Uh, our, our goodness isn't good enough. Um, we need to be made good by God to be acceptable by Him. And by the way, that's what uh, distinguishes Christianity from every other religious system. Every other religious system is a system that I do and then God rewards me. Okay? Um, it is a, a works righteousness. It's based on what I do, therefore I'm good. Christianity says, no, you're not good at all. Jesus said there's no one good but God. So how the heck does somebody who's... If only God is good. And this is Jesus' uh, uh, definition of what is good. God and God alone is good. Then how do we deal with human beings that 
um, you know, have a clash here. And I, it's, I think it's an opportunity to explain that regardless of how good you are, um, I, I'd much prefer to have somebody who I can trust uh, in business, even though they're not a believer, than somebody who's a swindler. I mean, clearly. Um, but uh, when we're talking about them being good, um, their actual being, intrinsically being good, um, according to what Jesus is saying, uh, only God is good, and we have to be made good by God um, in order to, as Scripture teaches, it's my understanding, to being good. Because, because um, new birth... New birth produces new life, right? You know, being born again. When somebody's born again, now the life of God is in them. Now, that life of God produces characteristics that are characteristics of God. And one of the things God says to his people, both Old Testament and New Testament, is this. You shall be holy. Why? For I am holy. So there is definitely a, um, a, a correlation between being in relationship with him and our characters reflecting it. Now, granted, none of us, you know, we, we deal with, um, with sin all the time. With, uh, you know, sinful attitudes, spoken, unspoken. Um, you know, they're, they're just there and we know they're there and God knows them even better than we do. And so, um, you know, yeah, I would make the distinction you know, yeah, that that person might be. Let's say he's a, he's he's a he's a Hindu. He could be a really good person in the sense that, you know, he treats his fellow man well. He doesn't rob him. He doesn't you know doesn't steal from him. Takes care of his family. That's good. I want that. That's better for society. Okay, but um, again, what is the the source of authority to define good? They have to. They have to go to an authority. Everybody does. Did that answer your question? Did it? Okay. All right. Wow. Okay, let's look at the the meaning of evil. What is it? What the heck is evil? Um, Augustine, a, um, a church father, in um lived between uh, 354 and 430 he really struggled with this issue of uh, evil and many christian uh, thinkers after him as well and what they saw uh, what evil was is that evil is not a thing but or a substance it's not a thing or a substance here's how the argument goes since all things and the substances from which all things are formed, are made by God. And since God created all things good, evil must be then defined as having non-substantial existence or as existing in the form of a defect in an otherwise good thing. In other words, what Augustine is saying is this, that evil is a deficiency or a corruption of the good. It's a deficiency or a corruption of the good. Evil is the lack of something that should be present either in a person or in a thing. Okay? And then he also talked about evil being a privation. And essentially a privation 
is uh, you are moving away from the good so much that now there's nothing left. Uh, An example of privation, there's two examples. One is blindness. Blindness is the privation of the good of the eye. It's not a physical thing, but what is it? It's the absence of sight. Um, a cavity. Uh, a cavity is not a thing. It's the absence of enamel in your tooth. It's a hole. See that? A cavity is a tooth gone bad. That's, that's how we explain privation. So, uh, moral evil here. Moral evil is the corruption of the good which God has created. And uh, the scriptures, uh, you know, reveal that natural evil uh, ultimately comes from moral evil. When Adam and Eve sinned, um, when they disobeyed God, then what resulted was the curse. And natural evil resulted for the man. It resulted in his labor where it would be by the sweat of his brow. And for the woman, what it resulted was in the increase of pain in childbirth. Not pain in childbirth, the increase of pain in childbirth. So the New Testament, let me just give you two examples. In the New Testament, sin and punishment are interrelated. Um, And we see this uh, where the Galileans, where the tower fell on them, but they were not more sinful than anyone else. Luke 13, 1-4 says this. Now on the same occasion... There were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent you will all likewise perish. So sin and punishment are interrelated in a sense. Okay, uh, The purpose of suffering is at times, you know, it's not a bad thing. Remember the man born blind? The disciples asked Jesus, you know, who was born blind that this, no, who sinned that this man was born blind? And Jesus said, no one. I'm paraphrasing, no one. This man was born blind though, so that the work of God can be manifest in him. So, so our definition of good and evil is this. Good's based on who God is, His nature and character. So that means that whatever goes against God's purposes and designs can't be good. Evil is the good gone bad. It's the corruption of the good that God created. It is a privation, like the blindness of the eye. It does not have sight. That's a privation. And uh, natural and moral evil uh, have resulted from man's rebellion in the garden. So, moral evil brought in the effects of natural evil. But the the problem here was moral evil. They disobeyed God's commandment. They didn't trust Him. And um, with that, let's take a little break. Okay?